0: to look here in the book of Genesis uh, at the creation. Boy, I tell you what, there's a lot uh, to be covered in the creation, and there's a lot that we haven't covered that could have been covered uh, in the creation. Tonight we're going to be looking at the creation of man, coming down to the creation of man. Hopefully, Lord willing, uh, I I plan to watch a video next week uh, on evolution versus God and it just drives home how important it is that we have the foundation of the creation settled and firm in our hearts. And just reveals the foolishness of those who don't believe creation and how ridiculous they look when they try to defend so many things. And so, Lord, being our helper, we'll watch that next week as we kind of conclude the creation, and then we'll we'll come back in and begin uh, studying again through the book of. Genesis. But tonight we're looking at the creation of man. And as we we look at the creation of man, as we look back at all that we've looked at thus far, as we look at the creation, six days have passed. Uh, From the first verse that said, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, six days have passed. We're at the end of the sixth day we come to the end of the sixth day. What, what? A uh, little less than a week ago was just a dark blob uh, uh, with no form and no, no uh, shape about it. It was void. It was covered with water. It was worthless and useless six days ago. Now it is alive. It is green. The land is separated from the water. The trees are in full bloom. The fields are covered in grass. The flowers are blooming. The birds are singing. The dolphins are jumping in the water. Uh, the cattle and the dinosaurs and the and the grasshoppers and everything it is vibrant it is alive, it is beautiful, and you can tell without a doubt that a master creator has been at work. You can tell without a doubt that this globe that six days ago was absolutely nothing has been touched by the hand of the master. You can tell that this is something that somebody great has done. There's no question about it. Everything that we see at this point in creation declares the power and the might of the Almighty God from the the mass of the earth to the solar system, the sun and the moon orbiting correctly, the planets orbiting, everything functioning exactly as they were supposed to do. The glory of God is being declared by this earth that he created. But the interesting thing is that everything that was created up to this point, although it does glorify God, was not necessarily created for God. Everything created up to this point, everything that had been made, everything that had been put in place, uh, everything that was set in order was done so that God could create what He had been wanting to create uh, from day one. Everything that we see here at day number six was put there so that God could create a habitat for the crown jewel of his creation. In other words, as the way I understand it, is whenever the kids want to get a new dog, I have to build that hound a place to stay, and build a dog house, and now the hound's got a place to stay. Well, in other words, God built us a human house. He built a place to put mankind, but mankind was the heartbeat of his entire creation. This was what God was looking forward to. This is what God was longing for. This is what God was anticipating whenever he would create a being that could interact with him. We come to the end of day number six and we see that at the end of day number six, God created. Man, And this evening we're going to look just a little bit uh, at the creation of man. Now, uh, tonight we're just going to look at what is covered in chapter number 1. Uh, whenever we come back to chapter number 2, there's a few more details given about the creation of man that we will look at then. Uh, a lot of times whenever you teach the creation of man, you'll combine the two chapters. Uh, but we're just going to focus on what is in chapter number 1. And then when we get to chapter number 2, we'll look at what is there concerning the creation of man. In order to get started, though, we're going to read, starting in verse number 26 of chapter 1, and we're going to read down through uh, the the um, end of the chapter. We see here the Bible says, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and every herb-bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree-yielding seed, to you it shall be for me. And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for me. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. As we dive into this passage, the first thing that we see when we begin to consider the creation of man is the significant difference between man and everything else that God had created. Whenever evolutionists try to say that man evolved from animal life, they do human beings a great disservice because man is a completely different creature from anything else that God created. Matter of fact, whenever we try uh, to humanize animals, now don't get me wrong, I don't think that you should be cruel to animals. I think animals make... Uh, great pets. I have way too many in my house. And uh, we have uh, Ivy and Willow and Oliver. That's our dogs. And then there's a cat that's supposed to be an outside cat that stays inside more than it should be. Uh, It's Biscuit. And uh, you know, we love our animals. We pet our animals. We think a great deal of our animals. But sometimes you will see in society that people give animals more rights and more benefits and more consideration than they do people. Whenever you go to that point, you are doing mankind a great disservice because mankind and animals are not on the same playing field. Completely different Creatures, And so whenever we come into uh, the looking at the creation of man, the first thing we see is the significant difference between man and everything else that had been created. In verse number six, 26, we see what I call the pattern for man. The pattern for man. Now anytime you're going to make something, you're going to have a, a pattern. I used to be in construction work and uh, whenever you were going to uh, build a roof, a lot of times we would measure and, and we would uh, do the calculations and figure out what our rafter was going to be. We would cut our first rafter and then we would write on the side of that rafter, pattern. Brother Dave, Brother Danny, y'all probably do the same thing. You write on the side of that rafter, pattern. Then you lay it on the next two of 10 and you mark those marks and cut it out. Lay it on the next one, mark those marks and cut it out. In other words, uh, we are trying to create 20, 30, 40 boards uh, that look exactly alike. And the way that we're doing that is we are making uh, mirror copies of the one that we know is correct. And so when we come here to Genesis, we see the pattern for man, the design, the template that was used to mold and make man. Now whenever you look back through creation, nothing else is said to have been a copy. Whenever God uh, created the sun, moon, and stars, it doesn't say that he copied anything. No, this was a new creation. Whenever he created the trees and the plants and the flowers, this was a new creation. When he created the birds and the fish, the the beasts of the earth, each one was a new creation that was a kind that was to reproduce after their kind. It was a separate thing that God had made. But when God comes to man, This is not something that is completely brand new. No, this is a copy. This has a pattern. There is a template used to design this creation. Man wasn't uh, like the beast of the earth or the fish or the birds. Uh, Man was a representation of God. The Bible says there in verse number 26, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. We see that man was made in the image and likeness of God. Now something I'll point out to you here in verse number 26, uh, uh, when God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, we see a plurality uh, throughout that verse. Us and our is mentioned. This is not God talking to the angels. This is God the Father talking to God the Holy Spirit and God the Son. This is the Trinity being seen at the very beginning of the Bible when God says, let us make man in our image. What does it mean to be made in the image and likeness of God? Now, uh, whenever you read the phrase, you're like, well, it's pretty obvious what it means. But this is something that has been debated and and explained multitudes of ways. What it possibly means to be made in the image of likeness of God. Some people, in not wanting to show disrespect to God, uh, uh, try to find a likeness that's not like God. They try to find some way that we are like God, but yet is not evident or obvious because they don't want to disrespect the Almighty God in saying that we are like Him. It's been explained many, many different ways. Uh, But whenever we look at the phrase, what does it mean to be made in the image and likeness of God, I believe it simply means what it says. And let me just give you a little tidbit. Something that will help you with understanding the Bible is believe that it says what it means. And if you understand that it says what it means and you don't try to find a different meaning, A lot of times the Bible will make a lot more sense to you. And I believe this phrase means exactly what it says, that mankind is patterned to reflect, resemble, and be equipped to have a relationship with God. No other part of creation can make this claim that they were created to reflect, resemble, and be equipped to have a relationship with God. Whenever you look in the mirror and you see yourself in the mirror, you can say to yourself, I'm looking at a reflection of God. If that doesn't humble you when you sit down for your devotions, I don't know what will. I'm looking at a reflection of God. Because we are created in the image and likeness of God, completely separate from all other uh, parts of creation, we also realize that there's no evolutionary connection between us and any other part of creation because we are the only part of creation created in the likeness and image of God. And God made us unique. He made us individualized. He set us apart. He separated us and fashioned us to be able to communicate with Him. I know the Bible says that if man were to be silent, that the rocks would cry out, and I believe that that would happen. But the rocks are not equipped to communicate with God. I believe that when the eagle on its wing gives out its shrill, that it's glorifying God, but it's not equipped to communicate with God. When the grizzly bear opens his mouth and roars and shakes the forest, he's glorifying God, but he's not communicating with God. Mankind can communicate with God. God. Uh, Whenever we look at being created in the image and likeness of God, I believe we're designed in His image and likeness in three ways. Uh, uh, First, we're created as a three-part being. Uh, every one of us here this evening have a body, soul, and spirit. We are a three-part being, body, soul, and spirit. The body is that external flesh which we can see. It's what we recognize. Uh, it's the part that uh, we love about others. It's the part that we don't love about others. It's the part that, that we can see. It's the outer, external part of our flesh. Uh, now the soul is our internal makeup. Uh, it is what is on the inside of me. It's uh, what many people will refer to as the real me or uh, you may refer to someone else. They may, you may say, oh, well, they seem nice, but after you get to know them, it's that inside part, the real them. You know, that is the soul. And then the spirit is our eternal existence. It enables us to communicate with the God of heaven. So when we consider these three parts of how we're made, and we look at how that connects us with God, we see that when we consider our body, our appearance resembles that of God. You say, how so? Well, the Bible speaks of God having hands, feet, eyes, ears, mouth, hair, exactly like you and I do. I believe that our physical body resembles God. Matter of fact, it resembles God the body that God would take upon himself when he came to earth. Jesus took the body of a man. So whenever God was in flesh, he had the same physical appearance as we do. When we look at Revelation, at Christ returning to earth, and we get a physical description of him riding on his horse, the description is similar to that of a man. So I believe that our physical appearance uh, resembles what God looks like when he takes on A physical appearance. Now, we do understand the Bible says that God is a spirit and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. But there are times when God takes on a physical appearance and when He does, uh, mankind resembles uh, God's appearance. Also, uh, we are the only creatures, when we look at our appearance, we are the only creatures made in an upright position with an upward gaze. We are the only creature that God created that stands upright and gazes upward. I don't believe there's any mistake that God created us that way. All of the animal kingdom, they may look up, but their normal stance is to look down. But mankind is created in an upright position with an upward gaze that we might worship God. We are designed to be able to lift our hands and our hearts toward God. I've seen an awesome illustration, and I've been trying to save it, but I'm just going to have to spill it. I'm just like, I've got to use this in a sermon somewhere, so we'll just use it tonight. But whenever you take a little child, whenever they're just learning to walk, and you say, hey, buddy, come here. I'm sure that Olivia and Reagan do this. Hey, come here. Whenever they come running to you, they come running like this, looking up, Hands outstretched, looking up. You know what God wants us to do whenever we're coming to Him? We come to Him looking up, uh, arms outstretched, uh, wanting to be received by our Maker. We were created for this stance. We were created for this position that we might be able to worship God. The Bible has much to say about this. In Psalm 63 and verse 4, David said, Thus will I bless thee while I live... I will lift up my hands in thy name. In Psalm 134 four two, the psalmist said, Lift up your hands in the sanctuary. Lamentations 3.41 says, Let us lift up our heart with our hands unto God in the heavens. In 1 Timothy 2.8, he says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. It is God's will that his children Worship him with uplifted hands. Now the charismatics have caused Baptists to say that's not what the Bible means. They've caused Baptists to say, no, we don't raise our hands in church. And while there may be some areas that we disagree with the charismatics, they got this one right. Lifting up holy hands. It is what the Bible teaches. It's what the Bible instructs. It is how humans are to worship God. We were created to lift our hands toward our maker. And those who refuse to do so deny the truth of the word of God. I read, what, four verses? The Bible is full of verses that say that we as mankind are to lift our hands towards God in worship to Him. Our physical stature is designed for worship. So when we look at our body, we see resemblance to God. When we consider our soul, we see a resemblance to God in that our function resembles that of God. Our ability to think, reason, make decisions, communicate, both with each other and our Creator reveals uh, that we were made in the image of God uh, with a mental capacity for interaction with God. We were made like God because of the mental capacity to be able to communicate both with each other but most importantly with God. Nothing else in creation has the ability to communicate with each other and definitely not with God on the level that humans do. Now I know that animals do communicate with each other. Brother Danny can talk turkey really good. It didn't take him long to learn their whole language though because there's only a couple things that they say. The hen says, come here, come here, come here. And the gobbler says, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. I mean, that's about it, you know. Uh, you go by a pond at night, the bullfrog on one side will say, come over, come over, come over. Bullfrog on the other side will say, too deep, too deep, too deep. I mean, there's not a lot that they, that they have to say to each other, you know. And they do communicate, but their language is very small. And Whenever you look all throughout creation, you will see that mankind has the ability to communicate. And this makes him in the likeness and image of God. The Bible has much to say about our communication with God. Psalm 3:4 says, I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. Psalm 107, 6, They cried unto their Lord in the trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. Psalm 120, verse 1, In my distress I cried unto the Lord, and he heard me. Jeremiah 29, verse 12, Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. Jeremiah 33, 3, Call unto me, and I will answer thee. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, Pray without ceasing. Colossians 4, 2, Continue in prayer. 1 John 5, 14 and 15, And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. If we know that He hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, Be careful for nothing, but in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. The peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And we could keep going and going and going. The Bible is full of passages that tell us that we were created to communicate with an almighty God. We are made in His image in that we have the ability to communicate with Him. So we look at our body and see the resemblance. We look at our soul and see the resemblance. But whenever we consider our spirit, we find that our existence is eternal, just as God is eternal. Everything else that God created is temporary. Everything else on this earth that he created is temporary. There's trees that's lived for hundreds of years, but they eventually come to the end of their existence. We watch all of creation and we see that everything has a beginning and an end and we see it over and over and over again. Everything else that God created is temporary and there's coming a day when it'll be burnt up with a fervent heat. But mankind is eternal. Now God always has been and always will be. Mankind hasn't always been but mankind will always be. There will be no end to man's existence. Everything else has a limited presence here on this earth, but man has a lasting existence. Everything else was created for the temporary preservation of man, but man was created to eternally worship and glorify God. But whether or not we fulfill that role, God leaves up to us. In Daniel 12.2 and also Ecclesiastes 12.7 we see passages of Scripture that tell us that whether we choose to worship and glorify God or we choose to live for ourselves, we will live eternally. Daniel 12.2 says, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Ecclesiastes 12.7 says, Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. We were designed by God to be like God for the purpose of interacting with God. As I said when I started every morning, when we look in the mirror, we ought to be reminded that we are looking at the image and likeness of God created by Him to interact with Him and live eternally for Him. That is how we were created, in the image of God. Nothing else in creation can make that boast, but man was created for God. The second thing we see here, and don't worry, that was my longest point, okay? The rest of them will go a little bit quicker. The next thing we see, considered the creation of man, uh, is the position of man, the position of man. In addition to being made in the image of God, we were also designed to have the capability to oversee to plan ahead, to work formulas, to solve questions, and develop inventions. Man has within his design the ability to think independently and outside the scope of his immediate surroundings. Now, if you have any animals, you know that man is superior to animals in this regard. We have a goat that we have there at the house. I'm not sure why we have him, but we have him. And this goat, if he runs out of water in his pen... Uh, he will beat his head against the side of the barn uh, repeatedly, uh, for, uh, uh, indefinitely. He just boom, 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 uh, until he gets somebody's attention. Now, here's the funny thing. Inside the barn is his water bowl. Outside the barn is the horse's water trough. He won't go outside and drink out of the horse's water trough. He'll beat his head against the barn until somebody fills up his water trough. If he hears us inside the barn messing around, you know what he does? He beats his head against the side of the barn. Boom, boom, boom. Uh, he just, this is the only thing he knows. This is as far as his brain goes. Beat your head against whatever's bothering you. That's, it. That's the way he thinks. And although goats are probably at the bottom, maybe hogs are dumber than goats, I don't know. But, you know, ho- uh, goats are pretty low on the on the totem pole. And I know everybody says hogs are intelligent, but I've owned hogs, so I, they're not intelligent. Um, but... Uh, all animals exhibit that they live inside a very small realm. They, they can't live outside of this scope. And I know there's been some marvelous uh, stories of animals that's accomplished great things and Lassie uh, came home and all this kind of thing and they really did some great things. But I mean, really, uh, men travel farther than Lassie every day of their life. So, you know, this isn't a big deal. But what I'm saying is, Man has an an intelligence that is far beyond animals. Man was designed to do more than simply exist. You go down the road and you see these fields full of cattle, all they're doing is making hamburger. They're here to exist. They're going to the butcher, they're making hamburger. Man was created to do far more than simply exist. Man was designed to rule. When God created man, he created man to rule. In verse number 26, we see that man was to have dominion over the creation. He said in verse 26, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. To be to have dominion means to be put in the seat of authority to have the oversight thereof. God created man to be earth's overseers. We are to have dominion over the rest of creation. We are the authority who God placed in charge of His creation. Now, this dominion is obviously under the authority of God. This is not a sovereign authority. It's a stewardship. But man has been placed in authority over all of creation. God designed him uh, and gave him the responsibility to care for earth, uh, to care for the creatures, to develop and utilize uh, the earth's resources. God has put man in a position to learn how to make the most out of what God's given him rather than spoiling and depleting what God gave him for his own selfish gain and benefit. Man was created to rule. But in verse uh, 27, we find another aspect of man's creation, and that is the partnership of man, the partnership of man. God created man for companionship. Mankind was never designed to be alone. Uh, My uh, family and I, we enjoy watching the TV show occasionally alone. I don't know if you've ever watched it, but they take... uh, Ten guys and they put them on a deserted island and uh, they're they're spread out ten miles fifteen miles apart and they just live by themselves, and the last one out wins uh, five hundred thousand dollars and so they, you just got to stick it out and uh, you watch those guys and when they go in they're prepared they know how to build shelters they know how to trap animals they know how to catch fish uh, they know everything they need to know about surviving. But you know why almost all of them go home? Because they're alone. And loneliness gets the best of them and they go home. They can't stand being alone. God did not create men to be alone. He created mankind as creatures who needed and desired companionship. Uh, We were built for interaction. We were built for friendship and affection. And in order to facilitate this part of our makeup, we find that God created mankind as male and female. Whenever he made mankind, he created male and female. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him male and female created He them. Now when we get into chapter number 2, we're going to delve a lot deeper into the details of our individual creation and the roles that God gave to men and the roles that God gave to women, Uh, but we're going to cover that in chapter number 2. Tonight we just want to look at what God talks about here in verse number 27. And here in verse number 27, we see that men and women were created on the same day with the same spiritual capabilities... In regard to their interaction with God. Now, some, and I don't know if you've ever heard this type of teaching or not, but there are some who take the teachings in the New Testament concerning the roles of men and women, and men's role of leadership, and a lady's role of submission. And one thing a lot of guys forget to realize is that the Bible says submitting yourselves one to another. Men fail to read that verse. But a lot of times they look at the role of men's place of leadership, women's place of submission, and they develop a doctrine that says that women are unable to interact with God outside of their husband, that their husband is the spiritual leader, and they must interact with God through their husband. There's nothing in the Bible that teaches this. Verse number 27 says uh, uh, that God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he them. And as we looked at the image of God, we see that the image of God is what gives us the ability to interact with and worship God. Uh, He said, male and female created he them. Uh, Men and women are both created in the image of God with the same physical, mental, and spiritual capabilities of maintaining individual relationships with their creator. We are created on the same plane as far as our spiritual relationship with God. In verse number 28, we find the priority of man. And when I speak of the priority of man, I'm speaking of his priority concerning his dominion over earth. In addition to having authority over the earth, man was also given the responsibility regarding his habitation of the earth. And let me just say here that a lot of folks uh, that's not in authority think that authority means that they don't have any responsibility. The more authority, the more responsibility. Man was given authority over the earth, and with that authority came responsibility regarding his habitation here on earth. In verse 28, we see that man was to feel, cultivate, and control the earth. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. God crowned man with the responsibility of populating the earth, studying and understanding the earth, and then using that knowledge for the optimal benefit of everything that inhabited the earth. Whenever we look at man's advancement, I believe that every scientific discovery, every advancement in technology, every progress that we've made through engineering, every time we uncover new knowledge concerning nature or the function of the universe is evidence of man's dominion that was given to him by God. However, we also understand that man's potential in this role was impaired by man's sin, and man has never been able to do have dominion over the earth like I believe God originally intended. I, I know that fossil fuels are are a result of the flood, so it maybe doesn't apply exactly to this point in creation. But I really believe with all my heart we're going to get to heaven, and God's, we're going to tell God, look at all we discovered and all that we did, and God will say, y'all did really well. You found coal and you figured out how to burn it. You found natural gas, and you figured out how to burn it. You found oil, and you figured out how to burn it. I'm telling you, y'all are something. Everything I left for you, you burn it. You know, I really believe that there is a whole lot more that man has never found, never uncovered, never unwrapped. That when we get to glory, we're going to realize that because of our sin... We never tapped into the full potential of everything that God had given us. Never tapped into all that God had provided for us. Man was given dominion over the earth. And I believe that to the best of our ability, man has fulfilled that role. Sometimes beneficially, sometimes harmfully. But man has filled that role. Then in verse number 29, we see the provision for man. Physical needs were supplied. The phys- provision for man, physical needs were supplied. In verse 29 it says, And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed, to you It shall be for me. We understand that at the creation, uh, both man and beast were completely what we would call today vegetarian. They didn't eat uh, uh, meat. They just ate the fruit of the vine, the fruit of the trees, and that is what kept man alive. After the fall, things changed. But at the beginning of creation, man was placed in a garden of perpetual provision. In the world we live in now, because of the environment, we can only grow certain things in certain places. Uh, because of all the things that are in our world, uh, uh, a lot of times we struggle to keep plants alive. Well, uh, Tomatoes will get the blight and the, and the uh, beans will get bugs and the taters will get this. And, and we struggle to keep things alive and keep them growing. At the beginning of creation, there wasn't any of that. It was a perfect growing environment. There wasn't cold and heat. There wasn't tornadoes and and blizzards. None none of that existed. It was a perfect growing environment 365 days a year. It was a gentleman who had one of these hydroponic greenhouses. It was back when I was a kid. He had these tomato plants in there that were just huge and getting these beautiful tomatoes. And he told me that the tomato plants, or he told my dad, the tomato plants in there were seven years old. And by keeping the environment exactly the same that they had not stopped bearing since he had planted on seven years ago, that's just a glimpse of what the Garden of Eden was like. It was a perfect environment. There was no way that Adam and Eve could harvest too much, there was no way that they could eat too much. This was a perpetual food supply that would never, ever run out. God had met. Their need. There was no fear of famine. There was no lack of food. God had created a world that would meet every physical need of man. And why did He create it that way? I believe God created it that way. You remember, it wasn't until after the fall that man had to till the ground. It wasn't until after the fall that we ate bread by the sweat of our brow. Before the fall, we didn't have to maintain the garden. The garden took care of itself. Why did He create it that way? I believe He created it that way so that man could direct all of his attention towards God. So that man could devote every minute of his day, every hour of his life to worshiping God because that is why we were created. We see that at the time of creation, all of man's needs were met. But as we'll see in a couple weeks when we get to it, man ruined this provision through his sin. The last thing we see in this study of the creation of man is in verse number 31 where we see the perfection of man. The perfection of man in verse number 31. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. God made no mistakes. There were no flaws. There were no imperfections. Every pain, every ache, every limitation that we experience is a result of man's failure. When God finished his creation, he looked on everything that he had made, and he said, It is very good. Now I'll throw something out here for you ladies. I I hate to share this with y'all because y'all are going to wear this out. But I'll just give it to you anyway. When we get into chapter number 2, and I was going to save this till we got there, but I'll just give it to you tonight. When we get to chapter number 2, we find that God had created everything, including man. And God said these words, It is not good. Now he went on to say that man should be alone. But he said, It is not good. Everything was created, including man, and God said, It is not good. Then he created one more thing. He created a woman. And then he said, it is very good. You know, this is why the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, he that findeth a wife findeth a good thing. I don't know if y'all can really use that theologically, but you know, there it is. Whenever we look at all that God created, we look at all that God made. God finished his creation, and he looked at it, and he said, it is very good. God made a perfect world. Man, in his rebellion, ruined it, as we'll see in a couple weeks. But God created a perfect world. You and I are made in the image of God for the glory of God. David said, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Whenever we consider ourselves, our response ought to be, Praise him. I often talk about how when I look at the stars or I look at creation, how it drives me to worship God. When I look at myself, it ought to drive me to praise Him, the crown jewel of His creation. Hopefully uh, that was a blessing to you this evening and we'll continue working through the book of